In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we enter this time of prayer with our Lord, we can remind ourselves of something very important about our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with you, Lord, Jesus Christ, is unlike any other relationship that we have. And this is not just because he's the most important or because of what he's done for us, or because even because he's he's God, although obviously that's extremely important, special. The thing about our relationship with Christ that's different about any other relationship is our union with him. When I love anyone else in my life, there's a certain union. I carry them in my heart. I, I think about them a lot. I dedicate my my time and energy to helping them and serving them. We can be united in intention, we can be united in our life, we can share many things together, ideals, time, activities. But with Christ, it's different. We actually become one with Christ. There are two persons, but in a certain sense, living in one person, living in each other. Jesus says this in the Bread of Life Discourse, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So that, Lord, you live in us and we and we live in you. With anyone else in our life, there's always this distance that remains. We're never completely one, united in, in one person. But with you, Lord, there's this true union. We live in you and you live in us. And this is so important when we think about imitating our Lord. Lord Jesus, we want to voluntarily take on and adopt all the attitudes that are essential to your life so that you can live fully in me, so that you can live freely in me, and so that I can live to my full potential in you, living your life. And when we reflect on the gospel, it becomes very clear to us certain key attitudes, certain key dispositions of Christ, what drives him, what what he lives for, what he's all about. In the Gospel of John, we have that wonderful scene where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And at the end of the scene, his disciples who had gone off to buy food come back and they find him with her. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so they had left him alone there at the well before his meeting with the woman who came because they went off to buy some food. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Jesus here obviously is making a, an analogy between 
what the will of God is for him spiritually, what the will of God is for him personally, and what food is for the life of the body. Right? What food is for the life of the body, the will of God is for the life of Christ's soul, the life of his life, we could say. And what is food for the life of the body? Well, we know that food is absolutely essential for the life of the body. Without, without food, we eventually starve and die. And food precisely is the source of nourishment, of strength, of sustenance, of satisfaction for the body. Food is essential for, for life. And this is what our Lord is telling us about his Father's will for his spiritual life, for his personal life. Doing his Father's will gives him energy and sustenance and nourishment and strength and satisfaction. And Lord Jesus, we want to be in you, living in you, having you live in us. So give us the same attitude. Help us to really seek the Father's will, to do God's will as a source of our strength, as a source of our satisfaction. And food, biologically, physically, is also a great goal of living beings. We we search for food. We look for food, and perhaps a little bit too much, we look forward to the next meal. And this is very human, of course, to look forward, right? What's for breakfast? What's for lunch? I'm starving. What should I make for dinner? Maybe I should order out tonight, or whatever. But it's but it's understandable that we need food so much, and it's so much a part of not just our physical life, but also our social life and even our spiritual life. The Mass is, in a certain way, a meal. And so food is not just the source of strength. It's also uh, a great motivator. Living beings are driven to survive and therefore driven to search and find sustenance. And so when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, He's also saying that this is my goal. This is what I'm after. This is what is driving me throughout the day. To find God's will. To do God's will. In another passage, in the same Gospel of John, a few chapters later, Jesus tells the crowds, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone. For I always do what is pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Another wonderful expression, Lord, of your own motivation. Another wonderful revelation, Lord, of your interior life. The interior life that you want us to live and want us to let you live in us. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what is pleasing to him. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. The importance, the radical importance of doing the will of God for our Lord and therefore for all Christians. The wonderful thing is, well, <laughs> one of the many wonderful things is that this actually works. This 
desire to do God's will, this desire to please God in all things, makes Jesus so beloved, so pleasing in God's eyes. There are only three times in the New Testament when we hear God the Father's voice speak directly to humanity. One of them happens at the baptism of our Lord, right in the beginning of our Lord's public life. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And so it's Jesus' aim to always do what pleases the Father, to always do His will. And the Father, in turn, loves the Son and is pleased by the Son's obedience, by the Son's searching for His will, by the Son's commitment to do His will and to carry out His work. We have a similar message from God the Father at the scene of the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. What a wonderful scene. What a powerful scene. We see the awesome mystery of of God revealed to the disciples. And in terror, in holy terror, in fear of God, they fall to the ground. Covered by this bright cloud, hearing the voice of God, they're overwhelmed. And Jesus comes and touches them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. That holy, holy, holy God, terrifying him in himself to human nature, which is finite, the infinite, awesome nature of God. Terrifying to finite creatures is my father, is your father. Get up. Do not be afraid. He's love. He loves you. He loves me. And why does he love me? Because I'm a good son. I always do what pleases him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What a wonderful thing, Lord, to read in the gospel advice from your father, advice from our father. Good fathers are always giving advice to their children, trying to help them be wise, trying to help them learn their way through life, to have the resources to cope 
with life and to thrive in life. And God the Father is no different. He gives us advice. Listen to him. He tells us to listen to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us to trust you, to obey you, to let you take the lead in our life. Listen to him. And our mother Mary, like all mothers, also gives advice. The only advice she gives in the New Testament is similar. At the wedding feast of Cana, she tells those servants, do whatever he tells you. And through them, recorded by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, she tells us the same thing. Do whatever he tells you, referring, of course, to you, Lord. The Father tells us, listen to him. And Mary tells us, do whatever he tells you. And so it's good for us in our prayer to look at our Lord and to ask him, Lord, what are you telling me to do? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, what do you want me to do change my life today, this week, this month, permanently? Who knows? Lord, what is your will for me? And why is this commitment to do God's will and not our own? Why is this eagerness to to obey God so important? Well, I think it's it's at the heart of it, it's really it's really about charity, it's really about love of God. Now we know that we're we're all called to holiness, we're all called to sanctity. The church taught this very clearly in the Second Vatican Council, this universal call to holiness. And as the church also teaches, holiness is nothing less and nothing more than the fullness of charity. That if we grow into the fullness of charity, we will be holy. And charity is defined by the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which uses a formulation that's that's uh, very ancient. Charity is to love God for his own sake above all things, and to love others for the sake of God. To love God for his own sake and to love others for the sake of God. And that leads us, of course, to the million-dollar question. Well, how do I love God? What does loving God even mean? What does it look like? Well, very much at the heart of loving God is this, is, is doing his will accepting his will as our own, uniting our will to his. What he wants, I want. What he wants me to do, I want to do. This always reminds me of that wonderful movie, The Princess Bride. In The Princess Bride, Buttercup, the princess, has a farmhand named Wesley. And Wesley, of course, falls head over heels in love with Buttercup. And he's always telling her, as you wish. And at first, uh, Buttercup is put off by this subservience of Wesley, and she keeps making him do harder and harder things, things that are humble and servile. And he keeps replying to her, as you wish. 
And Buttercup eventually starts to fall in love in turn with with Wesley. And she is kind of bothered by this because of their difference in station in life. Fearful of her own emotions. And so she keeps kind of putting him off. And then at one point she realizes that as you wish means I love you. And then Wesley is kidnapped, of course, by by pirates and um, disappears. Buttercup thinks that he's been killed by the uh, dread pirate Roberts. In the meantime, Buttercup is supposed to marry um, this evil and very annoying prince. I can't remember his name. I think it's something like Humperdink or something like that. And before that can happen, she's kidnapped by these um, by these three outlaws, Andre the Giant uh, among them, playing the giant. After that happens, the dread pirate Robert shows up and um, and steals Buttercup from these three outlaws, defeating each one of them in turn. Unbeknownst to um, to Buttercup, the dread pirate Roberts is actually Wesley. So she thought that he was killed by uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts, but he had actually become the character of the Dread Pirate Roberts during his years as a uh, as a pirate. And now he wears a mask, so she can't she can't um, identify him as as Wesley. And so they're going along. He um, he has her in his uh, in his charge. And at one point, they're talking, and she pushes him down this hill. And he's rolling down this hill. And in this moment, very famously, he reveals to her his identity, the fact that he is actually the love of her life, Wesley, who she thought was dead all these years. And he's rolling down the hill, and he cries out as he's rolling down, As you wish. And then she realizes that it's him. It's Wesley because of this of this line that he always told her to express his love for her, his, his devotion to her. As you wish. And of course, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very deep uh, movie and perhaps more than deep, very, um, very funny. But there's something absolutely true about this. As you wish means I love you. To love someone is to want to serve them, to want to make them happy, to want, in short, to do their will, to do their bidding. St. Maria in the Pharaoh has this very beautiful definition of love, point 797. To love is to cherish but one thought, to live for the person loved, not to belong to oneself, to be happily and freely with one's heart and soul, subjected to another's will, and at the same time, to one's own. To be subjected to another's will, and at the same time, to one's own. I want whatever you want. As our Lord Jesus says in the agony in the garden, not my will, but yours, but yours be done. And Jesus teaches us to say the same thing. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, when you teach us the Our Father, when you tell us how to pray to God as Father, you tell us to ask precisely for this, that his will be done. And sometimes we think of that only passively. We think, okay, let God's will be done, right? Like, let what God wants to do happen. Um, and that's fine, right? That we accept what happens as part of God's plan. It's very important, uh, principle of our faith, our spiritual life. But it's all, it's not just a passive principle. It's also an active principle that God's will be done by me, that God's will be done in me and through me, with my freedom, with my cooperation, with my consent. Let me do God's will. St. Paul writes, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. This is God's will for you, your holiness. What does God want? Well, one of the things that God wants perhaps more than anything, is for me to be a saint. God wants me to be a saint. God wants me to be holy. Sometimes we think of the saints as Catholic superheroes. People are obsessed with superheroes these days, probably because Hollywood has run out of original ideas for new plots, and so they keep recycling these comic book characters. And this can affect, <laughs> this can affect how we think about, <laughs> about the spiritual life. And so sometimes we think of, of, uh, the saints like that, like a saint is a Catholic Wolverine or a saint is a Catholic Wonder Woman. And we're ordinary people. So we're not a mutant like Wolverine who has this special metal put into his skeletal frame and his claws called adamantium and we're not uh, demigods like uh, Wonder Woman who was apparently formed out of clay by her Amazonian mother and then had life breathed into her by the Greek gods and so this view uh, this superhero view of sanctity is that is that it's only for a special almost non-human uh, beings right? people with uh, with preternatural or supernatural gifts in their human nature. And this is absolutely not true, right? The saints were ordinary people. They weren't always smarter than anyone else. They weren't always naturally more gifted than anyone else. Certainly they weren't always bigger, faster, stronger physically than anyone else. They weren't even kind of naturally more suited to piety than anyone else. They all had different gifts and they all had different limitations, just like you and just like me. But what do they have in common? They have in common this one thing. They love God above all things and they show that love by doing his will. All the saints love the will of God. All the saints live for the will of God. And Jesus, you have given me the same capacity. You have given me the same potential. I can love the will of God. I can live for the will of God. Not on my own, Lord, but because in grace, you're living in me. You want to do this with me and through me. And so it's a great thing for us in our prayer. It's a great thing for us 
to exercise in our prayer. To look at our Lord and ask Him once again, Lord, what is your will for me? Lord, help me to do it. Lord, give me a greater desire to do your will. Share that desire that you have. I always do what pleases Him. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, to carry out His work. Share that great desire, that burning desire to do God's will that you have with me. And this is something that should descend right down into the details of our life. Our life is lived one day at a time. Our life is lived one afternoon at a time, one morning at a time, one hour at a time. And so this is why it's so important for most of us, at least, great the great majority of us, it's so important that we have a schedule, that we make a plan for each day, that we think in God's presence about what a day should look like that is a day spent doing God's will. What should my day look like if my if my greatest motive is to do God's will. And that entails, again, for most of us, uh, it entails making a schedule. This is what I think God, this is what I think God wants my morning to look like in spiritual direction, in my mental prayer, in a time of, of quiet reflection. I think about what God wants from me and I think about, well, Given that, given the priorities and the duties and the responsibilities God has put into my life, this is how I think he wants me to spend my time. Fulfilling those duties, living those ideals, loving him. And so we make a plan for it. This is how much time I should spend working. This is when I should start working. This is when I should stop. This is when I should rest. This is when I should stop resting. This is how I should rest. This is when I should socialize. This is how God wants me to be and act while I socialize. This is how and when I'm going to fulfill my family duties. And why is a plan so important for most of us? Well, I think most of us just aren't good enough. Uh, we don't have uh, uh, enough natural goodness, enough love for the will of God, to be spontaneously holy, right? Most of us can't just go into the day saying, well, let's see what happens. I don't know about you, but if I went into the day saying, well, let's see what happens, probably in about two weeks, I'd be in jail, right? (laughs) Or somewhere worse. (laughs) So it's important for us to have a plan, a structure that that really helps us to to live in the way that we think God wants us to live. And in that structure, to give priority to God, priority to times of prayer, priority to spiritual reading, to the rosary, to mass, if we can get to, if we can get to daily mass, an examination of conscience before we go to bed, a morning offering when we wake up, waking up at the time we decided to wake up. The plan of life, what St. Jose Maria called the plan of life, a spiritual plan that that really helps us to stay in touch with God throughout the day, to love God and himself in these moments of prayer so that we can live the presence of God and do other things for him throughout the entire day, living for God, living in God's presence. And that gives us a chance to do God's will because, again, most of us, if we don't have that plan, 
then things are going to get left up to chance. And when things get left up to chance, unless we're very strong and, and naturally very good, well, those, those moments can go the wrong way. Well, you know, sh should I pray now or should I go and um, scroll through social media? Well, I'm kind of tired. I don't feel like praying. I can pray later. And so I'll go and, and scroll through the social media or whatever. Should I pray the rosary or should I watch this next episode of my favorite show on Netflix? Well, yeah, I, I really love that show and I need to rest. So I'll go and, and watch, watch the Netflix. Not that there's anything wrong with social media or with Netflix, but uh, the tendency is to, in the moment, right, to do what's easier, what's more appealing, what uh, caters to our love of comfort, what caters perhaps to our vanity or selfishness or sensuality, and not to do what brings us closer to God, not to do what really is the will of God for us in that moment. And that's why we need to plan our prayer and plan our rest. So that if we have that plan, when those moments come, we, we, we say to ourselves, no, this is the will of God. This is what I committed myself to do. I'm going to look at social media later. I'm going to watch this episode of my favorite show on the weekend with my family or with this friend of mine. But now I pray or now I work. And that's doing God's will. That's heroic sanctity. If we make that plan and stick to it. Heroic sanctity can be found in the heroic fulfillment of the duty of each moment as St. Jose Maria taught. Lord, help me to live my life as you want me to. Help me to follow that advice of God the Father. Listen to him. To make a plan for my day that I think really expresses how you want me to live. What you want me to give importance to. What you want me to give priority to. So that we can fulfill also that advice and follow also that advice of Our Lady. Do whatever he tells you. Our Lady, Mother Immaculate, pray for us. Help us to be like you. This is what Our Lady was all about. Be it done unto me according to your word. Be it done unto me according to your word. Doing God's will, following God's plan for her. And her son, also you, our Lord Jesus Christ, were also all about this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to carry out his work. I always do what pleases him. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph help us to have the same heart, to love the will of God, to do the will of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.